0: Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. If you've been listening to the show for a while, I appreciate it. But if you've been listening to the show for a while, you probably also realize, you know what, there are things that Derek used to do at the beginning of this show. Not at the beginning of this series, but at the beginning of this show that he no longer does. Like, he no longer rushes through words and he no longer stumbles over shit. And he no longer does those dumbass voices. Now I'll just do sound effects. (laughs) Heath, heath! And those things all came with time and and, and patience and editing. Lots of editing. Um, But also just an awareness of what worked and what didn't work. And what needed time and what didn't need time. And what I have found in this book, in the first three chapters, is that Ashley and Jaquavis don't have time for the stupid ass quotes they put up at the beginning of the chapters that really don't have anything or bring anything else to the story. Because they stopped doing them. And I'm okay with that. So you're okay with that. Let's go. Chapter three. It was quiet. So quiet the thoughts of fear of chaos and of destruction thundered loudly inside of her head. Ever since the men had disappeared to Saudi Arabia, Lena had questioned her loyalty to the street life. When they had returned, she had pushed her fears to the back of her mind, but she knew one day she would have to address them. Today was that day. Lena wasn't built for the warfare that came with the game. There was an uncertainty of survival every day that she woke up. She never knew what could happen and the imminent danger that lurked in the shadows of her life terrified her. Although their hands were in the casino business now, she knew the cartel would never truly be legit. They lived by the rules of the underworld, and Monroe would always be a part of the life. He had been born into it, and the moment she fell in love with him, she had committed to his lifestyle as well. It had its perks, but it was times like these that she remembered the flip side of things. The dangerous side. And now the tables had turned and they were cloaked in darkness from the storm Barack was about to rain upon them. Lena had wanted to stay by Monroe's side, but instead he had her whisked away to safety. They all had responsibilities. She wasn't a shooter, she wasn't fearless, and she certainly wasn't a gangster, but she was a nurturer at heart. Therefore, her job was to make sure that CJ and Little Money knew nothing about the circumstances of the duress. One of the cartel's most trusted goons had been assigned to the task of keeping her and the boys out of harm's way. It wasn't enough to get them away from the casino. Monroe wanted them out of Nevada. Where are we going, she asked. She looked out at her window. They had been driving for almost two hours. The boys were asleep in the back seat, but she knew that when they awoke they would have questions, and she needed to know what to say. Somewhere safe, he replied shortly. You might want to get some sleep. Relax a bit. We have a little ways to go. Lena settled into her seat, but her mind wouldn't rest. In the last war, they had lost so much, so many of their loved ones. She couldn't help but wonder who would fall victim to Baraka. He was twice as deadly as Mati. How, what? How the fuck do you know that? What? What? Do we have statistics? Shots per minute? Like Mati put up 300 shots per game and. Baraka put up 500 shots? Like, do we have statistics for this? Like, are you just going off the fact that y'all done already called Baraka and his boys a bunch of terrorists? Is that what we're doing right now? And besides, how the fuck she know about Mati? Huh? When that shit was happening, she was still trying to get money to not let Mecca find out about the two of them. And then she was whisked off to safety during the entire Mati incident. How she know about Mati? But more than anything else, where are the killer basketball cards? Like, I want to see them. I want to see stats. I want to see who was the rookie of the year the first year they came out as a gangster. I want to see these things. Are they on tops? Is it fleet? Hmm. That fact scared her. The desert blurred outside her window as they drove top speed, heading west. She didn't sleep. She couldn't, not with the knot twisting in her gut. She wondered, is Carter okay? What is Monroe going to do? There were too many unknowns, and they were filling her with anxiety. She was grateful the boys were asleep the entire drive. They pulled up to a house in Pasadena, California. Whose house is this, she asked, noticing a Cadillac sitting in the driveway. A friend's, he said as he exited the car. Lena turned around and stirred CJ and Little Money out of her sleep. CJ, Mo, wake up, she said, putting on a fake smile. She didn't want them to sniff out her worries. We're here. Look, if he's a worker and she's the boss's wife or, or she's, she's Lena, She shouldn't be kept in the dark about where they're going, right? Like, the workers should have to tell her where they're going. If she says, tell me where the fuck we're going, that should work, right? I mean, for the five years that they were in jail, she ran shit. Her and me and more and and, and Breeze, so she should have some sort of credit with her voice, right? Okay, just checking. She exited the car and ushered the boys out of the back seat as the goon got their bags from the trunk. When she turned towards the house and saw who stepped onto the porch, she sighed in relief. Polo, she whispered. She smiled as she placed her hands around the boys' shoulders. He walked over to her and the boys. It's like I stepped into a time machine right now. Oh man, he said as he admired CJ and Little Money. Mo, CJ... This your Uncle Polo, Lena introduced them. Polo held out his hand, giving both boys a firm shake. There's an Xbox in there. will not y'all go make yourselves comfortable, he said. The boys took off, racing inside. Polo turned towards Lena. Everything you need is inside. Groceries, clothes, whatever. Lena nodded. Thank you, she replied sincerely. From all of us. Lena didn't want to say too much because she really didn't know Polo well. She knew he had been Big Carter's right-hand man, but she had also heard rumors that he had cooperated with the feds. She knew Polo wasn't a threat to them. The fact that she was even in his presence meant Monroe trusted him. Still, she made sure not to say more than what was necessary. Polo turned to the goon. Keep your eyes open. Keep them inside. Keep a low profile. Her newfound protection nodded and Polo walked to his car. Take care of yourself, he said, and those boys. If Big Carter and I had done a better job, you all wouldn't be reliving a life that destroyed us. It's history repeating itself. She saw emotion in his eyes. Those boys inside will have a different story. I promise, she replied. Polo nodded and snipped away the emotion before getting in the car and driving away. We better get inside, the goon said as he carried her bags towards the door. Lena followed closely behind, feeling like she was walking into a cage. Seeing Polo made her realize he had a lifetime of regret. She didn't want her son or her nephew to know this life. As soon as Lena stepped inside, the boys came racing towards her. Ma, there's a hoop in the driveway. Can we get a game in? Mo asked. The goon stepped up. Nah. That's not a good idea, little man. If we're going to be here, we aren't going to be cooped up in this house. No one knows we're here. They should be fine in the driveway. Let them be kids, Lena interrupted. Motherfucker... Okay, so your kids are gonna get kidnapped. You know that, right? Like, at some point, because you're like, no, they're kids. We don't, nobody knows we're here. Nobody knows we're here. You should let them go outside and play in the front fucking driveway where nobody can see them. And Polo, why don't you have a patio, my nigga? Backyard, bitch. Have a patio. If you're supposed to be rich, you should have a huge-ass full court in the backyard where you're like, y'all niggas come out here and play in the backyard. LeBron James and his kids come through every so often. Y'all slipping. So can we go, CJ asked. Yeah, your ball's in the trunk, Lena said. Because he needs to practice for AAU. He needs to know how to go left and right. And he ain't going to mess that up for you, unknown goon. The goon wanted to protest. She could see him getting ready to buck against her decision, but the piercing look she shot him silenced him instantly. I'll go out and keep an eye on them, she said. Let's get one thing clear. I know you're here to do a job, and I appreciate your loyalty to my husband. Those boys don't need to know we're running. So don't lurk, and you follow my orders, not the other way around. She grabbed a crossword puzzle and a pen off the table, then stepped out onto the porch. She took a seat on the swing as she watched the boys play a game of one-on-one. The goon kept his distance as he sat on the other end of the large porch and kept a keen eye on things. A competitive spirit filled the air as Lena watched the cousins play. For a moment, no matter how brief, she felt peace. The gentle breeze hit her face, and she smiled at the boisterous nature of the boys. This was as close to normal as she would get. She yearned for a carefree existence such as this one. Foul, CJ called as Mo pushed him hard while powering towards the driveway hoop. CJ fell hard to the ground. Easily tempered, he stood up and ran over to Monroe. Foul, man, he shouted as he pushed his big cousin back. Quit crying, pussy. Mo barked back as he threw the ball at CJ. How old is this little nigga? Like, I know that we're struggling with ages here, but... He's not eight, right? Is he eight? Seven? Thirteen? You know, I might have laughed at the point where Kid Awesome, at the age of eight or seven, had told a crying littler cousin to quit crying pussy. But I don't think he would have even known what that meant. Besides, I would've talked to him about the misogyny and the word and things of that nature and it would've been fixed up immediately. Still would've laughed though, just because him saying it that young of an age. Cuss words are funny when little kids say them. I don't give a fuck what you think. If you don't think so, wait till the first time your four-year-old calls you a motherfucker. That shit is greatness. Both boys were bred to be thorough, so neither backed down. It didn't matter a little money was older and stronger. CJ had heart. He charged his cousin, and the two began to tussle. Hey! Lena shouted as she stood to her feet. The goon moved when she moved, just like that, but Lena motioned for him to stop. I've got it. Lena descended the porch steps and approached the fighting cousins. Stop, she said harshly as she pulled him apart. Your family, and family don't lay hands on one another. Nigga, Please! Let's check the stats again, shall we? Mecca shot money. Carter shot Mecca. Money shot up Carter's house. Does that sum it all up? I think that about sums it up. So, family can get touched is the family motto. Like, that literally should be their family code. Like, hold on. So, me being the wild motherfucker that I am, I decided to make them a family fucking crest. The new family crest of the cartel is... Familia Possumus Tegitit. Familia Possumus Tegitit. That means family can get touched. That's the cartel crest. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they say about family. Familia Possumus Tegitit. Familia possumus de digit. And it almost looks like it says, Family possibly can get it. Fuck these niggas. Fight! The look on Mo's face reminded her of Mecca. Mo's temper was starting to become apparent, and the anger that brood in his eyes was so familiar that it seemed to chill up her spine. If she didn't know any better, she would have thought that little Monroe had come from Mecca Seed. Monroe Diamond Second. she chastised. Fix your face. You guys are cousins. You say the tough guy act for the enemy. Don't ever fight one another. And watch your mouth. The musical sounds of an ice cream truck distracted her. Go cool off, hotheads, she said as she shook her head. Go get some ice cream. She looked up to the porch. Can you grab my handbag from inside, she asked the goon. Yep, goon's going to go inside. Ice cream truck's going to kidnap all of them. That's it. He nodded, and she turned to follow the boys to the ice cream truck. Just as quickly as the two had fought, they made up as they raced down the driveway, joking and clowning on one another. She smiled. They were as thick as thieves, and she loved their bond. Those two are going to drive me nuts, she whispered to herself. She walked up to the truck and rubbed the back of their heads lovingly. What do y'all want, she asked. When she looked up at the driver, her heart sank. She could see the malice in his eyes without him ever having to say a word. Call it a mother's intuition. Butterflies fluttered as anxiety took a hold of her. Without thinking twice, she gripped the pin she had been using on her puzzle and jammed it into the man's eye. Run, she shouted to the boys. You stupid bitch, the man shouted. Lena turned to flee, but before she could take one step, the back of the truck flew open as three men burst out. They grabbed CJ first and then Lena. Mo was quicker and it made it out of the man's reach. But when he turned and saw one of the men placing a chloroform rag over his mother's mouth, he went back. He tried to fight the men, but he was no match. They grabbed him too, and they pulled him into the truck, kicking and screaming. By the time their hired goon came back on the porch, he was speeding down the street. Oh shit, he yelled as he came up off his hip with a pistol. He dumped bullets in the direction of the truck, but he hit nothing. The truck bent the corner wildly, and the goon threw his hands up in the air as neighbors began to pour out of their homes. Fuck! he shouted as he swung at the air he knew there would be hell to pay he had one job and he had failed now he had to make the call to Monroe and tell him that his most prized possessions had been lost Baraka had struck back called it we have to get him to a hospital the doctor said as he redressed Carter's chest wound we've been to the hospital doc we can't go back I need you to fix my brother up right here Monroe said there's a lot of trauma for the gunshot. You should have never brought him here. He needs an IV. He needs medicine, rest, round-the-clock care. One doesn't simply walk away from a wound like this. There will be permanent damage. He can't catch his breath because one of his lungs had collapsed. He's lucky to even be alive, the doctor said. Y'all talking about me like I'm not in the room, Carter whispered in a weak tone. They had managed to get him to the master bedroom, and he was laid out atop of the king-sized bed. Save your strength, Mr. Jones. Just focus on breathing. I can't do anything for you in this room. There's no equipment. No staff. It's not sterile. It's... Mia Moore was fed up with the doctor's excuses. She walked up on him and put a pistol to his temple. Nigga, this is not the way you handle stress. This is not the way to make a compliant doctor more compliant. He's already at the house. The house ain't sterile. Although, you know, when we were at the hospital with Kid Awesome, like, that room probably wasn't the most sterile in the world either because there were people going in and out and COVID and all that kind of stuff. But still, they did what they could at the hospital. And they had a sliding glass door that was pretty dope. So, okay. Stop putting guns in people's heads, me and more. Cut that out. Her pretty painted finger wrapped around the trigger. You either turn this room into a hospital or I turn it into a morgue. Stop telling us what you can't do and help him, she ordered. You either turn this room into a hospital or I turn it into a canvas because I'm going to paint the walls with your brains. You either turn this room into a hospital or I'm going to turn it into a playground because your brains are going to slide all over the walls. You either turn this room into a hospital or I'm going to turn this room into an airport because your brains are going to (laughs) fly. Monroe and Aries froze because they knew how close she was to making good on her promise. She was a ticking time bomb, and the one thing that could set her off was the thought of losing Carter. The room was silent as the doctor worked with shaky hands. I, I... He stuttered and then closed his eyes. He took a deep breath and swallowed the lump in his throat. I could work much better if you would please take the gun away from my head, he said nervously. Me and more, Carter managed to say. He lifted his hand for her to grab and she lowered her gun. She knelt on the floor beside the bed as she held on tightly to him. I fucked up so bad this time, she cried remorsefully. Shh, he whispered. Keep your head, Ma. I need you calm. You can't be calculating if you're emotional. Can't you, though? Can you be calculating and emotional at the same time? Why not both? Like, you can make plans through tears. Niggas do it all the time. It's called a fucking funeral planning. Like, you can do that. Stop. Even when he's dying, the nigga still can't help but to say stop being emotional. Swallow that shit down. Be a man, Mia Moore. I'm okay. He grimaced as the doctor tried to sit him up against the headboard. I'm down, but I'm not out. I'm right here, he whispered. If I don't start an antibiotic drip, you're likely to get an infection. I have to make a few calls to get the supplies I need brought here, the doctor informed him. Do what you need to do, Monroe said. They waited on pins and needles until finally the doctor's things arrived. By the time he was done with Carter, the bedroom of the suite looked like an intensive care unit. He's heavily sedated on pain medication and antibiotics. Changes bandages twice a day. Here's Vicodin for the pain. The doctor handed me and Moore a prescription bottle. Call me if he can't handle this. Me and Moore placed a band of $10,000 in his hand and said, thank you. He made a hasty exit, bumping right into one of the cartel's goons as he left. Monroe rushed to the door when he saw his henchman enter the suite. Oh, this nigga. You're supposed to be 300 miles away from here, he said with concern. Where's Lena? Motherfucker, you couldn't call? You couldn't. You drove 300 fucking miles of to tell them that Lena and the kids were kidnapped? This was your good idea? If they don't shoot you in your motherfucking head, I'm about to make this bedroom into a motherfucking Burger King because I'm splashing ketchup everywhere. You can have it your way, nigga. 300 miles away. What the fuck? We got to Cali and she insisted I let the boys play outside. This nigga snitching. You drove three hundred fucking miles of snitch, my nigga. Do you not know you about to get shot? That was such an word. The f- oh my god. She got infected, her and in the kid. Oh my god! Just tell him she got snatched up, and I am saying this on the phone so I don't get shot. We got to Cali, and she insisted I let the boys play outside. An ice cream truck pulled up. I turned my back for thirty seconds. My wife and my son are gone. That's what you're telling me? My nephew's gone? I trust them to you. And you're coming in here to tell me that they got snatched. I I let off on the truck as soon as I realized what was happening. I didn't. Also, also. Instead of letting off on the truck when they're already down the street. Hop in the goddamn car, my nigga. Get in the car. Turn on the engine. Chase these niggas down. Carter did it in Saudi Arabia. Why can't you do it here? Hop in the car. Follow behind them. Now they have... Okay, so if you drove 300 miles to get from um, Pasadena to Las Vegas at 60 miles per hour, give or take. That's a five-hour drive, my nigga. That's a long-ass time. That's a long-ass head start. Now, if you drove 100 miles per hour to get 300 miles, that's still three hours. That's a long head start. Either way you look at it, there's no way to really look at it where there's not a huge head start. Therefore... Monroe didn't hesitate to put a bullet in his head. There was a price to pay for this misstep, and it was a hefty one. You think? Now how are you going to explain someone who walks into a public casino and hotel but doesn't ever walk out? The cameras place him here. How do you know no one heard the gunshot? You two are out here like the wild, wild fucking west, Aries shouted. The floor is soundproof, Mia Moore answered. Where are our kids, Monroe? I swear to God I'm going to rip his heart out of his chest if anything happens to him. She threatened as her eyes welled with tears. She trembled. She was so irate. What do we do? She asked. Monroe hit the wall in frustration. You killed his daughter. What do you think he's going to do to our sons? He shouted. You and your fucking hothead. This is your fault. You think I don't know that? Me and shot back. I know Monroe. Yo. Oh. I'm not even going to do it right now. It's too important of a moment. He's my son too. Well. The other one is my son. Because you're literally talking about your son. But that other one's my son too. Me and Moore didn't have many weaknesses, but CJ and Carter were exceptions. At this moment, she was terrified for them both. The phone to the penthouse rang as me and Moore and Monroe continued to shout their frustrations at one another. Aries went to answer the phone. Somebody probably heard the fucking gunshot. Soundproof my ass, she said, silencing them. Nigga, y'all were bucking shots in a fucking holiday inn. You cut niggas dicks off in a Holiday Inn, my nigga. You can't talk about sound concerns. The dick was gone. She picked up the phone. Silence filled the line. Hello? Who is this? She asked. I don't like people playing on my phone. Hello? Who is this? She asked. She frowned as she heard the sounds of cries in the background. She turned to Mia Moore Monroe shushing them. One of you need to take this, she said. The solemn look on Ares' face made Miamor rush to the phone. Is that him? Miamor asked. She snatched the phone. Baraka! She could hear muffled screams in the background. The cries of Lena, of her son, of Mo. If you touch one hair... I intend to do more than touch one hair, Miamor. I plan to rip his fucking head off his shoulders. You have 48 hours to turn yourself over to me and relinquish all shares of the casino to me. If not, I'll send your sons and this black bitch back to you piece by piece. Please, they're children. By the way, racism. You took my child, I take yours, Baraka said. Let me give you a little example of what will happen if you do anything other than what I've asked. So, let me make sure I got this straight. The nigga Baraka went into the hospital... Where Carter and them were. Told them that all wars between men have started over an unworthy woman. Left out the hospital in Las Vegas. Drove to Pasadena. Bought an ice cream truck. Stocked the ice cream truck with tasty treats and ice tickles. And maybe some itchits. Because you know some of the kids still like that shit. Nisha likes them. I'm not a big fan. And you know it's a whole... Uh, oatmeal, chocolate covered oatmeal cookie shit that just gets me. Drives up and down the street, looks for these niggas, sees them out front, plays the music, and hopes that the kids will be allowed to run to the ice cream truck from Lena. That Lena will give them, that Lena will be stupid enough to send the goon inside and send the boys off to get ice cream without any fucking money. You know what my mom used to say? Don't you go to that goddamn ice cream truck without any money. She didn't say goddamn though. She was a child of God. She just whooped our ass so we said goddamn because that shit hurt. But he did all of that. He did. He followed him. How do you know where Paula lived? What exactly is the logistics on this? Who sold him the truck? Why are we getting racist? You were just now lusting over me and Moore a little while ago. Now Lena's a black bitch. What are we doing? Also, just want to remind everybody in the room that when Aries wheeled Carter up to the ambulance and me and Moore was waiting in the ambulance to drive away with Carter and Aries... One of Baraka's goons literally had a gun to Mia Moore's head and was looking at them. Mia Moore said, shoot him, Aries. The dude had a gun to her head, my nigga. What are we doing? Why are we here? Murder her in the parking lot. Shoot first, ask questions later. As I tell the kids on my basketball team, shooters, shoot. Pull up! You better lick shots like it's an ice cream cone. You better treat that ambulance like it's a fucking... Ooh, I got it. You better treat that ambulance like it's a fucking amusement park and take that motherfucker for a ride. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Let me give you a little example of what will happen if you do anything other than what I've asked. No! Please! Don't! It was Lena's screams. They were so shrill that Mia Moore closed her eyes and took her ear away from the phone as a tear slid down her face. Lena had become family to her. The sound of Baraka torturing her was gut-wrenching. There goes one hand, Baraka said. This is between me and you. No one else, Mia Moore reasoned. She didn't do anything to you. She's somebody's wife. Mother. You caught the easy fish because you couldn't catch me. I'll see you soon. But he did catch you. He held you with the ambulance. He caught you and could have killed you. But he threw you back in so that he could drive all the way over here and just pollute the air. To prove a point. And now, people's hands are gone. Also, as my wife just pointed out, is it really though? Because this... Book is pretty good about trying to do fake outs on niggas. Like all the goddamn time. 48 hours, Baraka reiterated. I'll text you a location. The line went dead. And me and Moore looked up at Monroe. I have to give myself up in order to get them back. Carter's going to veto that. You know that, Airy said. He has our son. There's no other option, me Moore replied solemnly. Monroe's nostrils flared. His eyes were red from rage as he stormed out. What do you need me to do, Aries asked. Mia Moore looked at her with regret-filled eyes. Pray for me. Aries and Mia Moore hugged long and hard because they both knew this was the end. They had started on this journey together as young girls. It had been five of them at the beginning. Death and destruction had dwindled their number to just two. But despite that, it still hurt. You're going to be the last murder mama standing, Aries. Mia Moore whispered as she grew emotional. They had been in this game side by side for years. They were best friends, sisters, and confidants. The memories of the capers they had pulled, the murders they had gotten away with, fluttered them. Neither of them expected to die a peaceful death. Their karma wasn't set up that way. But Ares and Mia Moore had never expected it all to come down to this. That's not going to happen. Ares is going to follow secretly and probably get shot in Mia Moore's place. Me feel like me should do something, Ares said. You know me will go all out with you, Mia. Me and Moore stood back and grabbed both of Ares' hands. There had never been a friend more loyal. Ares was the most stand-up person she knew. Me and Moore gripped her friend's hands tightly and smiled weakly. This is what I need you to do, Ares. Get out of this game. Disappear and keep your son safe. She had. She had done all of that. And you begged her to come back. Doofus. Move on with your life and bury your memories of the murder mamas when you put me in the ground. She had. She was in Idaho. You don't fake bury your memories when you moved to Idaho. All dreams die there. Don't end up like me, Ares. I love you, murder mama. This is goodbye. Me love you too, Mia. Aries whispered, a tear falling from her eyes. This was heartbreak for her. The murder mamas have been Aries' first family. She was about to lose that forever. And that fact was digging a hole in her heart. Save a spot for me up there. Where the fuck is your son at, Aries? Lena took her son and CJ and was just like, Peace out to your son. Deuces, nigga. They ain't gonna come after you. Why the fuck they want you? So where is your son? Who's watching him? It can't be Breeze. She dipped out too. Your son just walking around the casino looking for loose quarters on the ground so he could play video games. Poor kid. And no, I'm not saying I did that. I'm just saying you should never take a fucking kid to the casino when you know there's no arcade inside the casino. And you shouldn't take him to the casino and then be like, here's $20 for the arcade. That's just fucking stupid. Mia Moore laughed and nodded as she wiped the tears from her face. If you're going to take your kids to the casino, it better be circus, circus. I think that's the only acceptable place. Sure thing, she said. They both knew she wasn't going to heaven and that they would meet each other again. But when they met, it wouldn't be in the clouds. It would be in the fires of hell. When Carter came to, he found out the pain was still there, but he could now breathe easier. He looked over at Mia Moore, who was cuddled into him, sleeping peacefully with dry tear stains on her face. He nudged her awake, and as soon as she opened her eyes, he peered into her soul. What happened? <laughs> Got some playing to do, Lucy. <laughs> what happened? He asked, clearing his dry throat. <clears> throat. He sat up, grimacing as he moved slowly. Mia Moore climbed out of bed and walked around to the nightstand to pour him a glass of water. She grabbed the pitcher. Stalling for time, she tried to decide how to tell him what had gone down. She raised the cup to his lips and he drank, grateful for every drop. Sit down and tell me whatever it is you're trying to figure out how to say, he said, knowing his woman. Carter had always been well-versed in the book of me and more. so not what it said in like the first book. Book of me and more. Baraka has CJ and Lena and Mo," she whispered. He wants me to give myself up in exchange for them. I'm going to kill him, Carter whispered. I'm going to fucking kill that motherfucker. Carter could feel his world crashing. This was an impossible choice, his wife or his son. He can have me, he said as he clenched his jaw. He doesn't want you, Myanmar replied. We both know I have to be the one to die. He's our son. He's the product of our love. He is proof that what me and you had was real, she said. She was emotional, weak, torn up over the fact that she had caused this to happen. Somehow we got lost. Life tore us apart, but CJ has the evidence that we were extraordinary together. Our love was real, right? She was crying. And it was the most peaceful cry Carter had ever seen. What the fuck does that mean? Tears fell out of her eyes like rain from the sky, but her face was serene like a beautiful summer day. She had accepted her fate. It's the realest thing I've ever felt, Ma. Ma. Carter replied, except for the point where, uh, you know, he was fucking Yasmin, and he told her, like, he thought in his head, so he didn't even say it out loud. He had to admit to himself that this was the best pussy he had ever had when he caused all this. We have 36 hours left. Can I spend my last day with you? She asked. Carter pulled her into him and kissed her forehead as he held back his own tears. He didn't want to show her his fear. He was terrified for her. He was terrified for himself and his son. Life was not worth living without her or his son. They're not saying these parts, but I just, you know, they have a kid. There were no wins in this predicament. By saving CJ, he was sacrificing me and more. But CJ was the only soul on earth he would do that for. He felt like he was dying. He, he, he is. The reality of the dire situation was eating him alive. I wouldn't have it any other way, Mia Moore, he replied. Are you in pain? she asked. Not the kind that you're thinking of. My heart hurts more than any bullet can ever cause, Carter admitted. Mia Moore showered and styled her hair just the way Carter liked it. She put on his favorite dress. She wore his favorite scent. She put on her makeup flawlessly. This would be the last time Carter would ever see her alive, and she wanted to give him something to remember. When she stepped out of the bathroom, she was surprised to see him out of bed. What are you doing? She asked in concern as she rushed to his side, noticing that he had taken the IV out of his arm. You should be resting. We don't believe in doctors. She grabbed some gauze and tape before approaching him. I'm good, he assured her. She could tell that it was taking all of his strength just to stay on his feet, but she didn't protest. He knew his limits. She didn't want to waste time arguing. Here, let me put this on your arm so it doesn't bleed where the IV was, she said. She bandaged him, all the while filling his eyes on her. You're beautiful, he complimented her. She blushed as he caressed her face, staring so intently that she knew he was trying to commit every inch of her to memory. You've made me a better man, Mia Moore, he said. Even wounded and weak, he was the strongest man she knew. She smiled. You taught me how to love. You taught me forgiveness. You taught me how to appreciate someone while I can. Because you never know when they'll disappear from your life for like seven fucking years. Because they're faking their death and they never come back to see you until it's convenient for the book. And why the fuck did I come back from the Bahamas? I love you. You're the only woman I've ever said that to. CJ will know you and the sacrifice you made. I'll make sure of it. There'll never be another woman who could fill the void you're leaving in my life, ma. Because I can't go back to Saudi Arabia anymore. I'm a marked man. This divorce shit, it got out of hand. I never wanted this. And now it's too late to take it back. Just know that I love you, Mia more. I've never stopped. I never will. Every breath I take, I take for both of us. You're in me, ma, and I'm definitely in you because I nutted all up in those walls from pillar to post, from alpha to omega, from A to Z. I made your vagina into the romper room and I danced all over that motherfucker. (laughs) I treated your vagina like the almond factory. There was nut everywhere. I treated your vagina like the grocery store because there was nut butter all over the place. (laughs) So you'll live as long as I live. That's my word. Mia Moore's stomach felt hollow. He was saying goodbye. This was it and it hurt. This long preclude to her death was torture. She would have much preferred the unexpected bullet instead of this long walk towards the grim reaper's door. You won't forget me? She asked. Never. Every second of every day, you'll be in the back of my mind, he said. Every part of me wants to go to war over you. I don't want to give you over to him. She could see Carter's temple flexing in anger. He was so powerful that being powerless in this situation made him feel less than a man. I used to have situations where I felt less than a man. It was like not having a job for like... More than a week at a time. Like there was a point in time where I was unemployed for a year. And I felt like less than a man. You know what was stupid about that feeling? A. I was still. It was still taken care of. Like I had unemployment. My wife had a job. And I was actually working at the uh, preschool. That my kids were at. So I was actually enriching their lives. And I felt less than a man. Feeling less than a man is stupid. There is no way you can feel less than a man. You cannot negate what you've done as a person just because you're not able to do something in that moment and to tell somebody that they're less than a man honestly is a fucked up thing to do in multiple things in multiple reasons but i'm not going to go into them right now not even god can stop this she said you don't have to feel bad if there was any way you could save me i know you would you can't she paused she took a deep breath The feeling of air moving in and out of her lungs was one she savored. Nigga, you know that's fucked up because his lungs don't work no more. Her breaths were now numbered. She exhaled, not this time. Your breaths are not numbered, nigga. We are 12% through this book. You're just fucking fine. She walked over to the nightstand and opened it. A 9mm pistol sat inside. She had always lived by the gun, so she wasn't afraid to die by it. It was Baraka's unknown intentions that terrified her. If she left it up to him, he would slowly seep the life out of her. He wanted to inflict pain. Again, does she have no scars from what Mecca did to her? Like, did the nigga actually whoop her with a chain? Are we not confronting this? Because people who had never seen her before that are still like, You're flawless. You're beautiful. No, you're not. You got chunks pulled out your body. Was that fake? Did that never happen? <sighs> she reached inside and pulled out the weapon, palming it. She ran her hands against the steel as tears came to her eyes. What are you doing, Carter asked. I'm going to die, Carter, Moore said. If I have to go, I want to be at your hands. What the fuck? I don't want Baraka to take my life. I'm scared. I can't do that, Ma, Carter responded. You're the one person I've never been able to curl a trigger on. You have to, Mia Moore whispered, her voice full of sorrow. I don't want to see what Baraka has in store. You can do it here, peacefully. Once shot and it'll be over. Baraka will accept that. He'll return CJ after you show him my body. She reached inside the nightstand and pulled out a silencer. She began to screw it onto the gun. How dramatic are we riders? Carter grimaced as she placed the gun in his hands. I can't, he said as he looked at the gun and then looked intently into her eyes. I won't. You will, she said as she kissed his lips. He wiped her tears because we both know what will happen if you don't. Carter pulled her close and she sobbed into his shoulder. <laughs> I did all this. (laughs) He held her, but his mind was spinning as he tried to think of a way out of this. His son or his wife? His wife or his son? Why couldn't he just give his own life to save them both? Lay with me, he said as he pulled her to the bed. The pain of his injuries paled in comparison to the ailments of his heart. They lay side by side, facing each other as they held hands. Her tears fell onto the white pillows as she stared into his eyes. Close your eyes, Mia Moore, he said. She trembled as she lowered her lids. She had to bite her lip to stop herself from crying out loud. Pray, he whispered. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The cartel ain't praying, y'all. Look, here's how the cartel will pray. Our Father, who art in heaven... Diamond is thy name. We got the gun, they got our son. Bullets will rain from heaven. Give us this day our daily blood and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from bullets as we rain down on these niggas who come against us. Our trespassers get bullets in their asses, for thine is the kingdom. But we are the diamonds, and diamonds are forever. Glock, glock. Amen. Memories of the last time she had said that prayer flooded her mind. Mecca had locked her in a basement, had tortured her, and she had prayed to God. She had been so much tougher then. She hadn't feared anything on that day. But on this one, she feared it all. Loving Carter, having his child, it had changed her. She had become vulnerable in a way that she had never expected. It wasn't the thought of it all ending that frightened her. It was the thought of never seeing Carter and CJ again, leaving them, abandoning them, facing her karma at the hands of a man whose child she had killed. It all overwhelmed her. Thy kingdom come, she joined them. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, they said together. Carter took a pillow and placed it over her face, then pointed the gun at it. He knew he wouldn't shoot if he had to look at her. He never stopped praying. Give us this day, our daily bread, he continued. His hand was shaking so bad that he thought he might miss. He gritted his teeth as his fingers settled on the trigger. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Me and Moore stopped and said, just do it. Garg! Carter yelled as he pulled the trigger. The sound of the gun bullet whistling past her head almost gave her a heart attack. Why didn't you just do it, she shouted. You're going to give me cardiac arrest. Jesus, Carter. She turned on her back and looked at the ceiling as she panted. I can't, he whispered, tormented as he threw the pillow and pulled her into him. The weight of her crushed him, sending jolts of pain through his body. He didn't care, though. He just wanted to hold her, to feel her, to keep her. He stood to his feet. Where are you going, she asked. To call Monroe, Carter replied. I can't give you up, and I'm not losing my son. There's only one way to make this go away. Let me try that again. To call Monroe, Carter replied. I'm never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you down. Oh, wait, I already did that. Unlike this book, I care about not repeating myself. There's only one way to make this go away. The only reason why I repeated that was because, you know, I'm bringing it back to where we are. There's only one way to make this go away. What's that, she asked. To kill him before you have to turn yourself in, Carter replied. I'm going to make his room into his TCBY yogurt. I'm splashing strawberry sauce all over the place. You're hurt. You almost died, Carter. You're in no condition to do anything, Miamore said. I can't just do nothing, he replied. He quickly grabbed one of his designer shirts out of the closet. He could barely put it on by himself, but he fought through the pain. Carter, stop, Miamor whispered, but he was determined. He stepped into a pair of Versace slacks. The effort that it took to dress himself caused sweat to form on his forehead. I don't know anybody else who dressed like I dress. I put my pants on dick first. His body was too weak. He had lost so much blood. He was still so fragile. The room started to spin. He reached out and gripped the post of the king-sized bed. Me and Moore rushed to his side. Carter, she said with a sigh, please just lay down. I'll call Monroe. I'll get him over here so you two can figure it out. Carter gripped the back of her neck and placed his forehead on hers. On my life, I'm going to fix this. I know, she replied. I know. She helped him back onto the bed. Let me get you some tea. It'll relax you until Monroe arrives. She slyly palmed the viking in her hand before easing out of the room. Mia Moore couldn't let Carter intervene. It would do no good for him to take a stand against Baraka. She had to turn herself over to him. It was the only way to guarantee CJ's safety and Mo. And Lena. Mosalina. Not her hand. Not Thumbelina. <laughs> She quickly made him a cup of hot tea and took three pills out of the bottle. She ground them up fine and then mixed them into Carter's drink. It was enough to knock him out for hours. He drank without question. It wasn't long before he began to feel his head cloud. What'd you do, ma? He asked as she sat on the edge of the bed. What I had to, she replied. I'm not letting you jump into another war over me. I love you, Carter. Goodbye, handsome. She leaned down and kissed his lips one last time. She didn't even look back as she made her exit because she knew if she did, she would never walk away. This is the right thing to do, she told herself. This is the only way to make it right. When she made it to her car, Mia Moore picked up her phone and called Baraka. As soon as he answered, she said, "I don't need any more time. I'm ready to meet today. I need your word. If I give myself up, you'll let Lena and the boys go." Baraka simply responded. Meet me where you buried my daughter. One hour. How does he know where they buried his daughter? Mia Moore took her time heading out to the desert. Baraka will wait. Hopefully fly boogies out there with his sniper rifle. His need for revenge will make him stay there until she arrived. She sat on the side of the highway, splitting a dutch. She rolled down her window and emptied the contents, then pulled out a baggie to empty the cush weed inside. It had been a habit she had given up when she had her son, but in this moment she gave herself a pass. Thank God for Aries, she thought, chuckling slightly at the fact that she was smoking the small stash her friend had left in her car. She rolled it up like an expert, as if she had never stopped. She sat and smoked patiently, silently, as she watched the minutes of the clock run down. 36 minutes, she thought. It was the amount of time she had left on this earth. Her life of tyranny had come down to this. She had left bodies on top of bodies in her wake. She wasn't naive. She knew that this day would come. She was surprised it hadn't come sooner. She wasn't a good person. She didn't deserve to grow old. She knew exactly which sins she had committed to deserve this fate. That's why she took her time and savored the blunt. She was stalling. When she had finished her smoke, she flicked it out the car and sped off down the highway route, headed to the middle of nowhere. She saw the headlights coming up in her rear view, and they were coming at her fast. She frowned as the car passed her. It swerved in front of her, forcing her to hit her brakes to avoid a collision. The windows were tinted, and Mia Moore couldn't see inside, but she was sure it was one of Baraka's goons. She reached for the pistol that sat in her passenger seat, but then halted. She would go willingly. It was instinct for her to fight, but this time she had to concede defeat. The doors of the vehicle popped open, and two masked men hopped out. She opened her door and stepped out. She kept her hands at her side, palms out, so they could see she wasn't carrying a gun. "'What is this?' she asked. The two men rushed her, and she immediately noticed their hands. They weren't Baraka's men. They were black. "'Did Monroe send you?' She instantly began to regret getting out of the car without her gun. They said nothing and approached her with guns drawn. "'Why would he do this?' "'Do you know what's at stake?' she shouted. One of the men grabbed her, and she snatched away from him. "'No!' Don't do this, she said as he grabbed her waist. Why is Monroe stopping me? Why would he do this, she thought as she kicked and screamed and she was pulled towards the car. Mia Moore fought with all her might to break free, but they slipped a rag over her mouth and she knew it was useless. The familiar smell of chloroform overwhelmed her, and within seconds, everything around her faded to black. The sun shined brightly through Monroe's window awakening him before he had the chance to recover from the bottle of cognac he had consumed the night before. He didn't even want to turn towards the window. He squeezed his eyes closed, pulling the cover over his head as he groaned. Drowning his sorrows away it brought him no relief. The only thing that would make this right was Miamor's sacrifice. Monroe had already decided he was handing Miamor over to Baraka, whether Carter agreed or not. This was bigger than a woman. This was about family. Mia Moore was affiliated by association. She didn't have diamond blood flowing through her veins. That fact alone made her expendable. He knew he would be at odds with Carter for years to come over the decision that had been made without him, but Monroe didn't care. His only concern at the moment in time was for his wife, nephew, and son. Technically, it should be for his nephew and son because his wife ain't got no diamond blood either. But you know. Monroe knew it would take some time for Carter to accept this. He only hoped that Carter could see that this the only way to put an end to things. He grabbed his phone and called Carter, but when he didn't receive an answer, he decided this was the conversation best had in person. Monroe stood and quickly dressed before heading out. When he made it to his car, he noticed that his trunk was slightly ajar. He frowned as he approached it. What the fuck? he mumbled. When he pulled it open, the sight before him ripped him open. Lena, no baby, no! He cried as he looked at her bloody, naked body. We are really making 300-mile trips like it's nothing now. Like it's nothing. Her eyes were still open as she stared off into space. There were burn marks all over her. Her hand was missing and her face was swollen to the point where it was unrecognizable. If it had not been for her wedding ring, he might have doubted her identity. No! Monroe sobbed as he pulled her from the trunk. He fell to the ground with her in his arms. Blood was everywhere. Somebody help me! Please! He shouted. He had never been so wounded. Even when his parents had died or Mecca had been murdered. This was a different emotion. This was the woman he loved. She would have never been a part of this life if it had not been for him. She was a victim of circumstance. Another tragic love story. He was devastated. It felt like his heart was made of glass and had been shattered into a thousand pieces. He knew that the only thing Lena had done wrong in her life was to love him. This is a book title coming up, ladies and gentlemen. A gangster and a good girl were never a wise mix. The dead body in his arms was evidence of that. He had known that she wanted him out of the game. If he had just heeded the signs Lena had given him, she would still be alive. This felt like his fault. Somebody had to feel his wrath. That would be hell to pay for this loss. He would drop a body for every tear that slid down his face. Word life be. He gonna drop a body for all these niggas. 916-633-1537 Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook Leave a review on Podchaser, copy and paste that in the Apple Podcast, copy and paste that in the Good Pods. Thank you to everybody who's checking me out on Good Pods and everybody who's checking me out on Podchaser. If you're checking me out on Apple, that's cool too. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. Uh, you can go to the tip jar. Thank you everybody who's been listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going at you later. Peace.